This is Christopher Penzak, and you're listening to Eat My Pagan Ass. Yum. Christopher Penzak, and you're listening to Eat My Pagan Ass. Yum, yum. Hey everyone, this is Lucky Licious, and you're listening to Eat My Pagan Ass Podcast. I am podcasting to you live two months ago, right, we talked about that, Absolutely. from Between the Worlds Festival in Southern Ohio. It is a gay men's spiritual or pagan retreat, and uh, there's rituals and workshops and beautiful land surrounding us, and lots of great community. And one of the members of this community is uh, a man by the name of Christopher Penzak. He is uh, well-known among my circle of friends in New York. Infamous. Uh, infamous, even. <laughs> as an author, as a teacher, as a ritual facilitator, as a lover, <laughs> <laughs> and, and as a general maker of mischief, as well as knowledge spreading. This man, uh, I can't even... I'm just getting to know you, actually, and, 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 and you, you're someone who seems to have many, many layers, and it sounds like you have your hand in a lot of pots and it's amazing that you're able to as- accomplish as much as you can just very briefly um you've authored 18 books that have been published and more are on the way exactly uh, i mean that's very prolific I mean, how old are you i am 38 oh, so i thought you were gonna say that's the question you're not allowed to ask <laughs> you can ask me anything but that <laughs> nope nope 38 38 so i'm 37 so we're very yeah. close in age so I, I i have not written 18 books i have to say well, you know, it's a living. <laughs> and you've also... I'm more worried about the people who, you know, are full-time writers and don't write 18 books. I'm like, what do they do all day? Yeah. I don't know. Do we want... They're on the internet watching porn. Probably. Well, I do that too. Or they're yeah. listening to this podcast. <laughs> That's the wonderful thing when you work at home. You can watch porn whenever you want. The internet is for porn. The internet is for porn. Tracky. Me up all night hugging me. Porn to porn. 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 That's gross. You're a pervert. You know, I keep trying to get that worked out with my boss, too, and it's just, for some reason, she sees right through it. She goes, I know you're going to be jacking off, so. Um, You've also co-founded the Temple of Witchcraft. That's right. Yep. It's a 501c3 nonprofit uh, based in New Hampshire, but federally recognized, and it's a little avenue to be able to teach and to provide community support. And you've co-founded that with your partners. Right, with Steve and Adam. Yeah. And uh, you also have founded a publishing company. Also with Steve and Adam. Uh, we've we've uh, published uh, two books of mine through Copper Cauldron Publishing. And uh, we run a little bit of an apothecary that helps supply for the temple. And we're looking to be able to do wholesale for different stores and to, to publish other people eventually. But yeah. we're figuring out all the mistakes now in my books. And then, you know, we'll be perfect when we pu- start publishing other people. That's great. So uh, <laughs> do, you, do you envision yourself like being a, a wiser or a, um, don't say Llewellyn, right? No, well, more small, you know, smaller. Yeah. We've got nothing bad to say about Llewellyn. 
<laughs> but more, uh, more small publishing. Does Llewellyn yeah. publish your books? Yes, Llewellyn publishes most of my books. Oh, so we're grateful to Llewellyn. Exactly. <laughs> we love Llewellyn. <laughs> yes. No, Llewellyn's been really good. Wiser's been really good to me, too. I've, I've yeah. published with both of them, and they're both very different experiences, and uh, they've both been fun, you know, but now it's time to do my own thing. Yeah, what, what, since we're on the subject of publishing company, Why? Is it just easier for you? Or? Um, well, a lot of the books I want to do right now, topic-wise, are kind of obscure. And, you know, a lot of times with the publisher, they, they need to make a bottom line. And, um, it's easier and more economical for us as a, a family and as a business to be able to sell a thousand books and not worry about, you know, the bottom line margin of having to pay a large staff and, and all that, um, rather than trying to put out a book that might not be as widely interested for people and, and you have this expectation that you have to sell 10,000 books. Uh-huh. So I'd rather be able to, you know, put out, put out, put out, put out, put out, put out what I want and, and have it be very clear. I also get to do all of the artwork in the new books. I'm very excited about that. I'm, I'm shooting for more grimoire-like books and uh, that doesn't really go over so well in Barnes & Noble. Meaning you, you do the art direction or do you actually draw? Um, I'm actually doing, some of it's computer generated, some of it's drawn, but um, I'm trying to do more like woodcut style plates in the books. And Is there anything it. you don't do? <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not really a good athlete. <laughs> I hate going to the gym. Never well, was good at sports. It doesn't show, darling. La- last you're you're, like, you're ripped. I, can't, I can barely keep my hands <laughs> off you. It's all a vast illusion. <laughs> we'll play strong. And those of you who are listening, if you hear the sound, that's not me farting in it the is. background. Don't listen to him. <laughs> Chris, why did you have to go there? <laughs> So let's let's go wait. Let's go. Okay. So like you're this huge person, right? And among gay pagans, for sure, <laughs> vast. I see now why you need to have two boyfriends. <laughs> One might say gigantic. <laughs> and and just you're kidding. very. Of course, your the body of your work goes beyond just gay spirituality and gay paganism. Although that's that's an important thing, and I want to talk a little bit about that later on. But let's let's go back to the beginning, way way back, many centuries ago. Um, when you when you were a wee little Christopher, I was a wee little witchling. How? Where did you come from? What's your background? Uh, what kind of family? What kind of spirituality did you were you raised up in? And how did you become the uber witch that you are today? I am the only child of two only children. So it's pretty much just the three of us. Wow, that's like the seventh son of the seventh, seventh son. son. I like to I'd like to say that's even more special. Yeah, the only yeah. child of two only children. Um, I was raised Roman Catholic. <laughs> 12 years of Catholic school, actually 13 years of Catholic school, if we count kindergarten, um, all boys school for the last four years. And that sounds really fun, but it really in the essence <laughs> it's of not, it. You not saw my eyebrows go up. You're like, no. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not the fantasy of porn that we would, would hope it to be, sadly. Uh, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. I've been a very, very naughty boy. I need forgiveness. Shall I kneel? Mm. Shall I kneel just like this, Father? You like it when I kneel like this. Oh, oh, yes, 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 forgive my sins. Oh, yes, oh, yes, hail, hail, Mary, hail, Mary. Um, and really kind of left that somewhat traumatized and an agnostic. Um, and, you know, at the time I was looking into Eastern spirituality and Hinduism and Buddhism and all that. But the closest I could get to an experience in Eastern spirituality was yoga at the gym. 
So uh, I and so you have been to the gym, don't you? I have it? been to the gym. I just don't like to go to the gym, but I do go to the gym. Um, and, and so I had a friend of mine who was a mentor of mine for years and years and years. Um, she was my art teacher from when I was seven and gave me my first job when I was 16. And I'm a real great friend of the family. And uh, she revealed to me after I graduated high school and turned 18, which was the magic number for her in those days, that she was a witch because she came from, you know, that kind of worldview that you didn't, you didn't use the word pagan, you didn't use the word witch. She was a business owner. She was a single mom supporting her kids. You know, it was a very secretive thing at that time. And uh, she slowly revealed it to me, and I thought she was nuts, like total nutbag. Like, loved her and, and really respected her and admired her, but I was just like, why do you think you're psychic? Why do you think you can cast spells? Like, that's just insane. Like, explain it to me, because I love you. I want to know. And she did. And the more she shared with me, the more I was like, hey, this isn't too bad. And this sort of makes some sense. And um, she brought me to a full moon ritual that had this uh, amazing opportunity to do a healing spell for a friend of mine. Um, and it's actually kind of a, a crazy story that she... This friend was a year behind me in school, so she was still in Catholic high school. She was pregnant, didn't tell anybody, was a little bit of a heavier size, and actually lost weight during the pregnancy, so nobody suspected, but horrible for the health of the baby, horrible for her health. Um, Baby was positioned really badly, like they thought the baby's going to die, they thought she was going to die. It was just this very horrible thing, because she didn't really reveal it to her family until a month before she was due and supposed to go to college. So um, she threw down the tarot cards, my teacher, and said, okay, I feel like we've got, you know, the signs are good to be able to do this healing. We'll ask it be for our highest good and, and harming no one. And uh, we did the spell. And in the ritual itself was pretty amazing because she calls upon the moon goddess. And it's, you know, in her backyard by the in-ground pool in the hibachi. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it's the, I always like to remember that because we think we have to be, like, deep in the woods to have spirituality. But you can find it in the suburbs. Mojo is a magical, fragile thing. It's when you've pleased the god of football and he decides to shine his glorious bounty upon your team. If you anger him, he takes it away. Um, But she called on the moon goddess and the clouds parted at that moment. There was the moon and it was out for the whole time. And then, you know, when she was done, said goodbye to the goddess, the clouds covered up again. And not that that happens all the time, but that was very impressive for the 18 year old to me. And so, uh, but the healing spell really worked within those, those maybe four weeks, a little less than it. The baby moved. She gained all this, you know, weight with nutrition and, and, you know, everything. And I know her whole family is praying for her. I know many people are putting good vibes to her. But this was the crazy part was the spell said that the pregnancy and birth be as easy as possible. And she was in labor for two hours. First kid was up walking around in three going, what was the big deal? You know, that was easy. Wow. So, uh, so yeah, that was pretty phenomenal. I was like, hmm, witchcraft. Maybe it has something to, you know, something's going on here. And uh, I studied with her for a while, and then she sent me to her teacher, who was Lori Cabot down in Salem, and had a really profound psychic healing experience. Um, one of the things that she teaches to really get people deep into it is the idea that we're all psychic and that with enough training, um, you can do what seems to be impossible for people. So it was a, a psychic diagnosis case. And you, you get names of somebody you don't know, and they're physically diagnosed and verified by a doctor with a particular condition. And even if you can't name it, you can usually get like the type of illness it is or where it is in the body, but get some really specifics to it. And I thought going into it, oh, this would never work. You know, okay, maybe she's a witch, but I'm not really going to be able to do this. And by the end of the training, I was able to do it, and it really blew my mind. Wow. So after that, I dedicated myself to witchcraft. <laughs> What were the first steps you took? Uh, how did you How did you navigate those very first early years? And and uh, was I imagine Lori was a huge influence then on you at that time? Uh, yeah, but from a distance. Like her classes, it's not traditional training like people familiar with Gardnerian and Alexandrian covens. It's not like you you went to her house for a, or her store for a very intense but brief period of time, and then you'd go away for a while, and then you'd come back for a week and you'd go away for a while because a lot of tourists would be coming out and you know studying with her on their vacations and things. So it wasn't the coven structure that most people get. That's like the typical pagan experience um she and really she kind of has the attitude of okay you've learned it now do it 
you know, live it, which was really helpful for me because I don't really do well with authority figures. So it was good for me to go out and, and take this info. My mom actually was involved. Samantha, you can fool all of the people some of the time and some of the people all of the time. But don't try to put anything over on a witch. Um, in it with me. She actually believed that I was joining a cult and was wise enough to know that if she's like, no, you can't do this because I was over 18, but I'm still at home in college, um, that I would just freak out and do it all the more. So she's like, oh, I'm really interested in the goddess. What's this all about? And, and she checked it out and actually had such great experiences with it as well. She gave up Catholicism and became a witch. And her, me, and a woman I think of as my sister, was not by blood, but definitely by spirit, were our first coven. And we practiced a few years together and we did all the moons together and all the Sabbaths and kind of continued our education through books and through talking with other people and whatever we learned, we'd share with each other. And wow. it really evolved and it was really, really profound for us. That really blows my mind that your mother yeah. would follow suit. Were you a little weirded out by that? or? Uh, no, initially? it seemed actually perfectly natural at the time. And I'm really, really... Are was, you a mama's boy? I was a mama's boy, yep. I'm really close to my mom. The boy's best friend is his mother. My dad traveled a lot, so you know she's one of my best friends, and we were interested in a lot of the same things. She's I'm a sci-fi geek and you know comic geek and all that, and she was into all that. She taught me how to you know I learned how to read by reading Spider-Man comics with her, so we had a really close relationship. And uh, you know it didn't seem weird at the time. In fact, it took about ten years afterwards where she revealed that that you know she only joined up thinking that I was joining a cult. Like at the time, I really bought that she she wanted to do it, and you know she was really into it. My dad thought we we're a little crazy for a while, but he came on board and and never really became a witch, but was really open to everything and very supportive after after we did some spells for him that worked so wow i can't imagine my mother <laughs> yeah <laughs> about it. so when was your you know what was your first coven then that you became a part of when did you when were you initiated or what um the the initiations in the cabot tradition don't come until the third degree so it actually was quite a while i kind of left that and, and did stuff on my own so the first two degrees have experiences that are initiatory but it's not a current being passed to somebody and like in the first degree it was the healing case to be able to successfully do that kind of blows your mind and i consider that kind of my first initiation into magic um, but it wasn't so based on the authority of somebody else saying hey you're a witch it was like can you do it or, or you, can't you do it um, but we went, you know, full on after that. We got the robes, you know, we set up our altars. We, you know, we just kind of practiced the three of us on our own, doing the Sabbaths, doing the moons, doing spellcraft and psychic development and teaching each other meditations. Then a couple people started sniffing around. I came over for a snoop of, sh- a scoop of sugar. I hope I'm not uh, disturbing you. I was just like, so what are you doing over here? And can I be a part of that? Or I'm a witch in a different group and I've got nobody to practice with. Can I come over? And, and so we started to assimilate information from all these different people. So it wasn't just this one pure way of doing things. It was very eclectic and spontaneous and very heartfelt. And um, maybe two years after that, we found ourselves hosting a Samhain, an open Samhain at my mom's house in her backyard. And we had some friends who had some deaths in their families. So we were just like, well, this is what comforts us and this means something to us. Would you like to check it out? And Samhain became this open educational time for a lot of people in our lives to just you know, this is what we do. We know you might think we're crazy, but you know, would you like to check it out and just be part of the circle, hear what we do, see what we do, you know, kind of play along. It's kind of like our church, come come check it out. And um, some people decided to delve into witchcraft in our circle of friends from that. Others that just gave them a better sense that, you know, it wasn't something evil. We weren't Satanist out there, you know, killing puppies in the backyard. And not that hopefully any reference thought that, but I think a few might have. And at the time I was in a heavy metal band, so it was, you know, a bit suspect that, you know. You were in a heavy metal band? I was in a heavy metal band, yep. I used to have long purple hair. Are there any recordings available? Of there are, but you have to come to my house to hear them. Oh, really? You won't <laughs> let us play one on the podcast? I will not. <laughs> no! 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 
Yeah, nope, they're they're part of my secret stash. Oh my what was the name of the band? Um, the college band was Dr. Soulshine, and we were just kind of on the edge of glam metal dying and alternative starting, so we were fucked. You know, basically, yeah. you know, we'd go to an alternative show, and they thought we were too cheesy and we're too heavy, and we'd, you know, go to a glam show, and they thought we were too edgy and, you know, too serious. Uh. So we didn't really know where to go with that. Well, you've gotten a lot better at marketing since then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, the funny part is is we did what was in our hearts at the time, what we liked, but it just wasn't the right market for it. And yeah. it was really, the whole music scene was great for me to do what I'm doing now. Like, I think it so prepared me between uh, the band broke up right as I met Steve. In fact, I, I like to describe my partner Steve as our Yoko Ono. Yoko Ono, 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 Ono. If you could keep voices like me. They had they were fine with the witchcraft because I told them that up front or supposedly in theory in theory fine with the witchcraft and fine with the homosexuality in theory not so much practice. Oh. Um, so when I started, did we get offended when you go up and blow them or something? Is that what you mean? That, exactly, yeah. exactly. No, God, what's wrong with people? I know these straight boys. <laughs> uh, no, they like they they liked it as long as you didn't you know weren't explicit about it. And I was pretty you know just me. I didn't really think of myself as gay acting or straight acting. I was just kind of you know artsy singer. Um, but Steve, we always thought of the band as a family. And so I, I had to suffer through a lot of their girlfriends and some of them really liked and some of them really difficult. But I always made a point of trying to make them feel like part of the family. And uh, when I started dating Steve, that was not the case. Mm. Um, and I got uh, more and more upset as it progressed. And, uh, and then we had words at a show and we actually had a spinal tap moment where we broke up on stage. I tried to impale the guitarist with my microphone stand. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've gotten better since then, but that revealed to me I had some anger issues. <laughs> so started more of the healing arts and looking at witchcraft as a healing path, which opened up a whole different thing for me. And right as the band broke up, um, I graduated with a degree in music and worked in the, the music industry in the Boston area for a company called Fort Apache. And that prepared me with all sorts of legal stuff and marketing information and understanding copyright and how that all worked and not just the schooling of it, but the actual application in the world for it. So I learned how to negotiate a contract, book a tour. I used to joke though you know, in the music industry I was booking tours making flyers traveling the country and now as an author I'm booking tours making flyers traveling around the country just different <laughs> venues well you're you're also uh, the PR coordinator for Between the Worlds I am I am it's a funny job that I, I ended up coming here um, as a speaker when Gay Witchcraft came out and that's uh, that's one of your books yep that was my third book through Wiser and um, it's hard to promote that it's a pretty specific target audience and if you go to a lot of um, gay owned bookstores in the communities now they're even dying out but um, witchcraft's not a big market for them. And a lot of the witchcraft stores, the gay community is not always, it's, it's better now, but at the time wasn't a big market. That was one of the reasons why I wrote the book. I wanted the gay community to know witchcraft is embracing and is pro-sexual and a lot of traditions, not all, but a lot welcome, you know, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender. I've just got to fly. It's in my blood. When I'm up there in that big blue yonder, I feel like Superman. Uh, but I also wanted to talk about our history in witchcraft to the witchcraft community. So it kind of had a dual purpose to it. Um, but it was hard to promote. And so the folks at Between the Worlds, you know, invited me to come out to be the keynote speaker. And to be totally honest with you, the first thing I thought was 40 Screaming Queens in the Woods. Long live Queen Samantha! Long live Queen Samantha! Have a good time. I don't like to camp. In fact, Between the Worlds was my first time full-on camping in a tent, not in a cabin. And uh, and I went out here, and you know what they had? A hurricane. 
Oh, you were here that year. Yep, Hurricane Ivan was my year. And so uh, our tents blew away, we were cold, we were wet. We really bonded, and I had an amazing, amazing time. And uh, I really wanted, it was a very small festival at the time, and I wanted it to be successful. So I started uh, just taking the flyers that they had, had made. I'm like, oh, you know, I traveled the country. I meet a lot of, you know, every book signing event I'd do, maybe one one or two gay guys would come out. So I'd be like, here, check this out. And uh, some would be interested. A lot of it would be too far away, even though we get quite a few people coming out from pretty far for, for Between the Worlds now and uh they noticed that and some of the people who i talked to you know their feedback form was oh i heard about this through christopher and they were just like do you want a a marketing job you know do you want to do publicity and and be a part of the kind of input and leadership not direct running but just kind of on the periphery and and that's how i became the pr director excellent what uh what are some of your uh strongest magical influences in terms of different traditions that are out there like what has shaped your current approach to magic and spirituality that's an interesting question. I dropped my water everywhere. Um, as you can tell, we're out in the wild. Um, a lot of it's not witchcraft. I mean, for me, Lori was a huge influence because she was really about the science of things and starting as a skeptic and thinking my friend was crazy. Having someone explain the philosophy scientifically made me think, you know, here I can be this modern 21st century person now and not think it's crazy to believe in magic and psychic ability. There's like a mechanism behind it. So that was huge. Um, I think in terms of poetry and liturgy, Doreen Valente was a, a huge, huge influence. I think of her as like, you know, mother of modern witchcraft of all traditions and, and the way I, I think of things. Um, she's just really, you know, where it's at. She's been a, a huge influence on that level because she just, she took what worked and, you know, cut through the bullshit. So I, I really love that. Um, a lot of my other influences are strangely not witchcraft oriented. I really got into like core shamanism and the idea of the journey work and I uh, studied with a Celtic shaman for a while and studied like the Celtic texts, particularly the Welsh and the Irish and the Mabinogian particularly. And uh, that kind of influenced my witchcraft. But uh, I had an opportunity to join more of a Celtic reconstructionist group, but that's not my background. It just didn't feel right. Um, Reiki and other healing arts, herbalism, particularly taking from the magical herbalism to the medicinal herbalism was a huge thing. My herbal, medicinal herbal teacher started out her speech with, you know, I really believe that the herbalists of Europe were the witches and if you have a problem with it, get out. And I was like, hmm, perfect place for me, you know. And she really taught about the spirituality of the plant along with the, the medicine of the plant. So that was a nice compliment to the magic and the potions and, and took me deeper into the green world. Um, and strangely, theosophy has been a huge, huge influence, which a lot of witches kind of shy away from. But like Madame Blavatsky and Alice Bailey and even the ceremonial kind of theosophy of Dion Fortune. But um, I, I got involved in some very kind of new age lightworker ascension groups because their healing techniques really worked. But I, I at the time, I really thought the theology was batshit crazy. Like I just didn't. I'd ask questions and they wouldn't have answers. Or I'd be like, well, where can I read about that? And they'd be like, oh, I just felt it from my heart. And, and I believe in that to a certain extent. But if you're going to kind of quote jargon, then I need to know where that jargon came from. And so I kind of delved into all the old theosophical works and trying to get an understanding of where these techniques came from. And uh, I'm an occultist at heart. You know, I'm a witch who happens to be an occultist, but that occultism and, and understanding the history and the patterns and the theories was huge for me. And, and theosophy fills in a lot of blanks. A lot of things we think of as new age today that might seem crazy actually have really deep roots, but we just don't know where they come from or what the original intention was. So I like to ferret those things out. So what, what does your spiritual practice look like today, like on a day-to-day basis? And also, if you want to, you know, what are some of your grander um, philosophies like and by grand, those can be very simple, but you know, what, what are some of your, your tenets, uh, spiritual tenets that you hold? Okay. Um, 
I'd say my day-to-day practice, I used to be better about daily meditation. I'd still say I probably do five times a week. Um, and by meditation, that can include masturbation. Masturbation as well. Well, that is sacred. Absolutely. Sex magic is huge. I think you should dedicate every orgasm to something. You know, whether it be the goddess, the great spirit, the green man, or, you know, some little intention, every sperm is sacred. <laughs> and uh, and tastes so good on crackers. Exactly. I'm sorry, I don't. I just I had to bring it down a notch for a second. I'm still waiting for our dick jokes. <laughs> it's coming. Okay. That was it. Okay. <laughs> She'll get another one. Um, and, and so uh, I, I'm very good. About, I'm very into spirit contact as a part of daily daily work of just kind of checking in with the spirits, checking in with your higher self. Um, breath work, energy work is kind of daily energy body upkeep. So that's all a part of my daily kind of devotional work. Um, I definitely believe in keeping the moons and the Sabbaths, even though I do a lot of public moon rituals and public Sabbaths, I believe in the personal practice because when you're leading a group for people, it's not quite the same benefit um, that you get when you do it either on your own for yourself or you attend something where you can actually have the experience and not be responsible for just holding the space for everybody. So Mm -hmm. I tell everybody I train, like, just because you're doing it publicly doesn't mean you have to stop doing it privately, you know. Just like sex. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) See, there you go. (laughs) You know, porn career is not a substitute for a personal relationship. No. So, no. Um, so that's part of the day-to-day. I think for grander plans or, or you know, grander ideals, uh, a book came through with me. It was one of the first ones we put out through Copper Cauldron that um, really the first draft of it came out in nine days, um, which was pretty spectacular for me. And it was just, you know, when they say coming through you, it just kind of came through. Um, it was called The Three Rays of Witchcraft. And it really tried to gel uh, a lot of the theosophy with the Wicca aspects of witchcraft, with the herbalism, with the um, more kind of what they're calling traditional craft stuff, more of the folkloric information and some of the ceremonial magic and the, the shamanic techniques. Um, and it really is based on the ideas of love, power, and wisdom. And the path of the witch kind of snakes through these three concepts. And um, you might be focused on any one at a particular time in your life, but at the same time, you need to have these in balanced proportions. If you're all about the love, if you don't have any power to back it up, it's all sentiment. If you're all about the power but can't temper that, you know, you're very destructive or, or can be cruel or, or too hard-edged. And the wisdom is found in between and you know, really about how you can balance these two things. Mm. Our whole temple is based on that tenet. Um, the three founders with me, Steve, and Adam, we cycle through three roles that are, you know, each of us have to have the duty of embodying for a year one of those three tenets, and our roles and our duties in the temple revolve around that. And we have certain rituals that are part of the temple that are specifically for that that we're kind of pioneering right now because temple hasn't, although the teachings of the temple have been around for quite a while, the community that's kind of gathered around those teachings have been around for a while to be kind of an official organization and to um, create structures where other people can take leadership roles and teaching roles is relatively new. We just incorporated in the last two years. So we're kind of pioneering these new ideas and rituals. So last year I was the king role with the red ray and power and will. And this year I'm in the um, more of the priest role and more about love and trust and um, nature. So we kind of rotate through next year. I'll be in the wisdom role, hopefully. What, what inspired you to found a temple? And what do you hope it will accomplish? What's your vision for this temple? Well, for a number of years, I was teaching people in a very structured way in the classes, but there was nowhere for them to go after the classes were done. Just like I wasn't trained in a traditional coven, I wasn't training in a traditional coven. I'd say, here's a course of study. These are these levels that are built upon each other. This is the progress that goes through. This is what I expect of you. This is what you can expect of me. And then when we're done, we're done. 
Um, and I hoped that they would, like I did, kind of go out and, and do their own thing with it. Um, and I found a lot of people did, but a lot of people didn't. And a lot of people don't want to go to teach. A lot of people don't want to run public rituals. A lot of people don't want to do private healing work. And they think, well, what's next? And they'd go off into something else. Oh, my God. We're having a grand vision come by us right now. You never know what's going to happen in Between the Worlds. We break for drag here at Between the Worlds. Absolutely. My good friend Puck is... Southern Belle, really. Puck, my, 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 Miss Missy. You sure do look a radiant vision today. It was fabulous. I feel like I need a mint julep here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for gracing us. Wow, that's wonderful. You never know what's going to happen here. You never know. Drag queens. I'm sad, though, with the Bewitched. I'm looking for more Endoros. Oh, hello, darling. I thought we'd be swarmed with Endoros I today. I thought we would be, too. But, you know, that was kind of a last-minute thing. It's kind of that's hard true. when you're packing for this thing, you know, to, to, to throw your moo-moo in and, at exactly. the last minute. <laughs> I don't know. I always travel with my moo-moo. Really? <laughs> Why aren't you dressed as Endora? Be the change you want to see in the world. Let's exactly. see it. My drag is not not good. No, <laughs> too hairy. Oh well, yeah, a, we could do something with that extra thick makeup. I don't know. Exactly, shave. All right, so back to the temple. Right? So people need a place to go after after uh, your classes. Yeah, realizing that ministry comes in a lot of different forms, and it's not always like I think the traditional coven model is. Um, is very parental, which I think has worked for us for a certain structure. Like it's mom and dad running the kids and then the kids enter an adult relationship and they leave the nest and they go become mom and dad for another group. And, and maybe it's my homosexuality, but that model doesn't really work for me. Homosexuality. Exactly. (laughs) So technical. Um, you know, but uh, there's other ways to minister. There's other ways to lead. You know, some people take their paganism and they're really passionate about the environment. Some people are really passionate about healing work. Some people are very passionate about their art. Some people are very passionate about their music. Some people do want to teach, you know, but they never really learn how to teach outside of a coven structure. So we tried to create something that could um, accommodate those needs. So the, the basic temple has a um, mystery school, which is the fundamental teachings, a seminary, which is the high priestess and high priest training. And then as you graduate or even in the mystery school, you have a, an opportunity to serve in what we call the ministerial church. And the ministerial church is built around 12 areas of ministry. Each one has a lead minister to it that acts as a council. Um, and that council advises our board of directors and our founders and, and all that wonderful stuff. Um, but each of them is based on a zodiac sign and has a very public work that the temple can do to outreach to the greater community, has a, a semi-private work that's specifically more esoteric for the temple, and then has a very esoteric work that is much more the spiritual aspects of that ministry that others than those in the ministry might never see. And so different people have different areas to serve, you know, from putting on festivals. We have a little festival called Temple Fest that happens at the summer solstice in New Hampshire to... Um, public rituals and public classes and, you know, community building things. And we've got a ministry that focuses on the environment and, and, you know, animal education, environmental education. We've got, you know, ones that focus on art and creativity. We've got women's mysteries. We've got uh, growing men's mysteries. We've got one that deals with queer mysteries. So, you know, if you've got an interest that could even broadly fit into neo-paganism, we probably have a ministry that will cover it. Pole vaulting. Pole vaulting. I would think that would be Aries. (laughs) Jumping ahead. Yeah. Uh, so who can, who can be in this temple? Anyone? Or is it geographically based or what? It's, uh, the, the easiest way is geographically based. If you come to three official events, you become a general member and can participate to your level of comfort. 
Um, if you join the Mystery School, which is both in person and online, hello there, little bee. Um, we are just blessed with bees here in hornets and wasps at, between the worlds, which is kind of strange. This is the only year we've had that. Um, but if you're, you're taking the online class, you become what's called an honored member, which is not above or below, but it is more deep than a general member. If you're in the, the mystery school in person, that's also an honored member. We don't discriminate against our online students. It's the same status, but that's a way that somebody who's distantly can work. We're hoping to have little, I guess we'd call them satellites in different places. Um, to officially have a, you know, a full-on satellite, we need three ordained ministers in the area to hold that love, power, and wisdom. But if we have a single ordained minister someplace out in an area and they want to teach, then that's part of their ministry if they want to lead public rituals. So right now we have a little, I call them a little pod. We have a little pod in Denver. Um, and we have two priestesses. There. We've got a couple ordained um, priests and priestesses out there, but we've got two that are, are particularly doing really great work publicly. So I want to give a shout out to Emily and Valerie. Um, but they're running public rituals and doing public classes. So that's if you're in that area, you get to, to connect. And I, I visit there often too to help out. Yeah, Denver's a beautiful city. I was just in that region last summer and had such a wonderful time. Garden of the Gods. Oh, Garden of the Gods is my favorite place. In fact, there's a chapter in one of my books called Garden of the Gods. I think that kind of influenced the title. It's this amazing park in Colorado Springs and amazing, despite all the conservatism, you know, amazing metaphysical community in Colorado Springs mm-hmm. and, and in Denver. Okay, so now you're the grand poobah of this. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know, I've done a lot of this to not be the grand poobah, to be able to share power and to not have the final responsibility lay with me. I've surrounded myself with people who often disagree with me, which sometimes is frustrating, but probably good. Yeah. Um, I imagine if it requires three ordained ministers to set up, you're, you're going to spread three times as slow as... Yes. It's almost completely the opposite model of, like, the spread of Wiccan covens, right? Which is so non-discriminant in many ways. In in some ways. I mean, individual ministers can kind of follow their own heart and their own teachings. Um, And we still... It's fairly hard to get ordained. Like, you have to go through the mystery school and complete that. You have to go through the seminary. Through that process, you'll have mentored various people through the levels. We have the older students mentor the younger students. So we have a chance to see, you know, what that person's doing. Um, and then when we ordain you, we, part of the ordination ceremony is you get a key. And that just kind of shows that, you know, we trust you with the keys to the temple. We trust you with the, the keys to the house. And uh, being a legal organization, we have a certain amount of responsibility um, in the way even you just do your books and dealing with the, the federal government, you know. And so it's hard to just kind of go forward and, and say, hey, oh, anybody can do this and set it up. And the reasons why we went for that kind of legal status was to be able to get land and to be able to have buildings and to be able to have community centers and to be able to run them cleanly and with integrity and spiritual. Let's cut to the chase. You want to take over the world. I do want to take over the world. Actually, I want someone else to take over the world and just let me, you know, teach the classes there. I see. Ideally, if I, if I had my druthers, I would just write books and teach classes, but that's what I'm good at, and I feel like you're often called to do the things that are not often pleasant. I don't like to lead community in general. I don't like to um, do things by council. I li- I've always liked these projects where I can kind of charge forward with my own vision and have it be my own thing. But I think what I'm really being challenged with right now is how do you do the web weaving? One of the images I have of the goddess is the, the spider weaver and the idea of the web weaving and having not consensus in a sense that everybody has to agree completely, but the idea of bringing in multiple points of view and, and how do we create community from that and how can it not just be one person or in the, the sense of a high priest and a high priestess, two people. That's why we've kind of worked on the trinary model. And um, I think for me, a lot of the change of ages and the new age and you know, all that kind of stuff is, is going from a, a Piscean top-down 
mother-father parental role to something that's a little bit more group-oriented, that's a little bit more triad-oriented, you know, and that kind of reflects so in my life. So um, kind of bringing that model model into witchcraft is an alternate view. You know, we've got things that work from top down already. We've got family structures that work already. So if that doesn't work for you, what can we create? But So where can people learn more about the Temple of Witchcraft? Um, our website is templeofwitchcraft.org. So that's a good place to start. Um, we hope to have a book that's just kind of general practices of the temple soon. That's on my very long to-do list. Um, and in the end, a lot of what we did for the publishing company is trying to support the temple to probably the first people we're going to publish are students in the temple and graduates in the temple to kind of get ideas in the temple that are not mine out there and, and presented to a, a wider audience and really kind of support people in their missions, whatever it is.
you referenced um, when talking about triad how how this reflects you know something in your personal life. It, would you care to talk about sure, that? No I've got very few secrets. Um, yeah, I'm in a polyamorous triad with the founders of the temple, Stephen Kenson and Adam Sartwell. Um, you know, really kind of evolving out of our life together and our relationship together. We founded this temple. We founded this publishing company, and we have magical practices together. We have magical practices that are apart, but. Um, never really thinking of myself particularly other than than monogamous, you know, paired gay, gay modern witch, you know, who knows where your life will take you. But, you know, we found ourselves meeting an amazing man and Adam and opening our lives to him and, and getting over some insecurities and getting over some jealousy issues and, and being able to realize that love doesn't really have a limit or a quota. And you can just say, oh, that's that's where I stop. Um, I think for me, that kind of group consciousness of Aquarius has been reflected in, in relationships and being open to different and unusual relationships and love and sex and, and all that. And that's been a, a super challenge for me, but I think an important part, not an easy place to go, but an important place to go. You're clearly the hot one in the relationship. How, how do they deal with that? <laughs> Actually, I think Steve's the popular one. In the, you know, he's, he's the one running around in a kilt more. Actually, both my boyfriends are amazingly sexy and handsome. And they it reflects on you, honey. They tend to run around in kilts more often than I do. Mm-hmm. I tend to be a little bit more modest. Except for Comos. Don't say it. Comos. <laughs> <laughs> it's only between the worlds where you get to see Christopher Penzak and assless chaps. <laughs> Yeehaw! That's right. Thank you for that memory. It was hot, yeah. And and in fact, you you almost invited me and my own boyfriend into your to join your. We were going to be a five. Exactly. Which I, I learned actually equals something like nine or so. it's like exponential. Like the more people you involve, because yeah. then there's like the group and it just gets messy. Units and units of groups. Well, messy's okay though. Messy sometimes can be fun. Yeah. You know, five is the sacred pentagram. You can go for that. That's uh, okay. there's always a magical reason. I'm having visions, and, and I know my boyfriend is going to be listening to this, and I'm sure he would probably love to be in that five-some. <laughs> <laughs> Although he's the fan of Steve. Steve has a day job outside of the, you know, the witchcraft. Yes, he does. You want to talk yeah. about it? Just give him a plug? Absolutely. Steve Kenson is the designer of the award-winning, world-famous, role-playing game Mutants and Masterminds, among a few others. He worked a lot on Shadowrun and some Battletech and some vampire stuff. He does uh, role-playing games, which many people, when I talk about it, think is computer games or S&M games, and it's somewhere in between the two. Shall we play a game? Oh, it's the role-playing games with dice and pen and paper. But he's uh, he's been working in that industry for as long as I've known him, and uh, and quite successful with it. Well, apparently, I, I, my boyfriend literally drooled, and I think I think <laughs> dropped the phone when I told him who was here, and <laughs> gnashing his teeth in envy. He just couldn't be here, and and in fact, I just spoke to him a little while ago, and he said, "I can't believe I'm not there." He'll have to come next year. He will. Absolutely. He, well, I don't know. It's a really hard time of year. Um, for a lot of people, you know, yeah. in the middle of September, it's the start of the school year, start of the, the church calendar for a lot of people. Uh, he's a minister. And um, I don't know, I, I just told him up there, well, you have to come next year. He didn't know. So maybe we might just have to plan a play date at your Absolutely. place in New Hampshire. Come up for a visit. Yeah, although Adam's a, Adam basically is a teaching assistant, so it's really tough for him to get away. But he actually cites he's also a minister, and this is a religious conference, and he's presenting and doing ritual here in a religious capacity. So the wonderful people in the state of Massachusetts let him come. What's he a minister of? Well, he's one of the lead ministers in the temple for Virgo, which is healing. Um, he does some teaching work in the temple, and he runs classes here, and he's actually teaching a class right now as we speak called Look Ma, No Tools. Look Ma, No Tools. <laughs> so you, you guys are, are very open about all this then I mean he's he's open about his spirituality absolutely absolutely the wonderful thing about New Hampshire folks in New Hampshire are 
economically conservative, but pretty much socially, you know, live free or die is our state motto, and, and they don't tend to care. Vermont is very liberal, and that's where Adam comes from, and he works in Massachusetts, and Massachusetts is pretty open about things. It can be pretty liberal. It's very comfortable to be openly a witch and openly gay there, so... I think Mitt Romney's an open gay witch. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's oh, Mitt Romney. Else. Okay, so you, you've said a couple times here that what you really love to do is write. Like, that's one of the things that you really love to do. I do. And um, what are some of the favorite books that you've written, you know, out of the 18? Out of the 18 And the, the many more that are coming. The newest ones, but I think it's, you know, you're like a bad parent. You're like the newest kids most. Um, I really love The Three Rays just because it was very different and synthesized a lot of stuff that has been kind of jumbling around in my head for so long. Um, and I think more will come out on that, you know, whether it be an updated version or a book that advances those ideas further. Um, the book that came after that was called The Plant Spirit Familiar, and that's a huge love for me. It's about the, um, you know, how people have totem animals. This is taking the concept of having a totem plant and uh, how to go deeper with that. And, and just my conversations and experiences with plant energies and spirits has been amazing. And so to be able to share that in a very witchy context has been been lovely. In fact, I pioneered some of the stuff over here. I taught the classes first at BTW, and the primary ritual in it um, was somewhat controversial, called the Green Devil. And uh, I pioneered the Green Devil ritual here for the public for the first time, and that, that became a major teaching in the book. So, uh, What's so that's, involved in that ritual? Why was it controversial? Uh, it's controversial because it deals with the mythos of Christianity and sin and the devil okay. and the Garden of Eden, kind of um, butting heads with the pagan worldview and the goddess and... and you know, we live in a predominantly non-pagan world. And, you know, even though we might think we don't have sin and that there's no devil and, and all that, we live in a world where that's kind of the default state, you know, for a lot of people's worldviews and, and kind of gets into this whole mythology that we really haven't left the Garden of Eden. But if we forgot it, you know, we haven't left the Garden, but if we don't remember that we're still in the Garden, it's just as bad. And we've been raised by people who don't remember they're in the garden. So it's our job to wake up to that. So it kind of takes the model of the descent of the goddess, like Anana through the seven gates. But instead of using Anana, it uses the green man. And the green man has to face his dark side, the god of rot and the god of withering, which is the green devil. Um, and it actually uses plant spirits as the guardians of the gateways. And the controversial part is too, in, in our teachings, depending on where I'm at, we actually use entheogens. We actually use the poisonous plants in some context, not in a really deadly way, but we actually use the plant material and ingest it or put it on our skins. And a lot of people freak out about that when you actually you know, use witchcraft in witchcraft. We just did that last night. We, we bought some of the flying ointments mm. over here, and we threw an impromptu ritual together down at our campsite last night. Awesome. And uh, it was an experiment for us, but... Um, Everybody survived. Everyone survived, and um, I can't say anyone flew per se, but as I said, it was an experiment for us, mm -hmm. and I think... That's something that requires a little bit of technique and practice. Absolutely. And I think using those types of substances, you got to know what you're using. I think it's good to go slow at first and moderate first because it's very easy to make a mistake, you know. And uh, there are poisons for a reason, you know. It's, it's not just fun and games. But um, I think going deeper with them is an important thing. Yeah. I, I basically have that same sense, too. It's like, come on guys we're witches let's do let's something do witchy <laughs> exactly exactly and i know the boys who made that particular flying ointment the other world apothecary you know they really know their stuff but it is it is potent so it's good to kind of build up to it but mm -hmm. they're folks that you know if i can't make something i'll get it from them so yeah uh any other books you particularly like that you've written um, well, gay witchcraft. Writ written, written, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> gay witchcraft, you know, was a, a huge life changer and really opened me up to a lot of different things. There's a, a various 
um, pictures and models in that book. And strangely, almost all of them ended up in my life in some way as students or friends. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that really, and around that time... Um, in some ways, dot, dot, dot. In some ways, mysteriously. <laughs> um, yeah, no, strangely, none of that happened with those models. But uh, um, we started a men's group after that relatively recently. And it was kind of an open spirituality men's group that evolved into a men's witchcraft group. So I'm also part separate from the temple, although a lot of the members are temple members uh, in, involved in a group called the Circle of the Sacred Thursus. Um, and that's just a once a month witchcraft, men, gay men's, gay or bi men's, although I think everybody identifies gay at this point. Um, and we just get together and we practice things. Sometimes it has a context with sexuality to it, sometimes it doesn't. And has a rotating leadership, so everybody has to present something and share something with the group. So it's not really my show, which is nice because I get to go once a month and, you know, only once out of the whole year do I have to present something. And the other 11 times I get to go and just experience and hear what other people have to say and, you know, to have other people run rituals for me where I can just kind of have the flying ointment. <laughs> what, what are what are some of the challenges now of being a a, a well known pagan author, and uh, or increasingly well known too? You mm. know, now after this podcast, you, the door your door is going to be famous down. You know, absolutely. Uh, what are, what are some of the challenges you face? Uh, I think, well, in the pagan community, I, it's really funny the people who have really strong opinions of you who have never met you and they have really strong personal opinions of you that always takes me aback. I'm like, if you don't like the books, I can get that. There's lots of people I like who I don't like their books, but, um, yeah, people will say really, you know, thing, uh, things that are very strong, you know, and very personal and, and act like that they know you and, you know, come to find out they've never met you. And this is based on a friend who said something to a friend who said something to a friend. So it always kind of takes me aback, but that's community and that's life. Um, I think, yeah, a lot of people have assumptions. I think sometimes when people see the publisher on your spine, they have assumptions of what type of witch you are. And um, I don't think that's true really anymore. I think that argument could be made at one time. But, uh, you know, sometimes people assume if you're in a mainstream company, then you must be a mainstream witch that, you know, has nothing important to say. And, and hopefully, you know, people are, are learning something from what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think also the idea of... Uh, you know, dealing with community and, and working with community, that the sense that you have power over people or that you're creating some type of cult. And, and really in the ethos of it all, we're trying to create the exact opposite of that. But as soon as you put structure to something, then there's going to be some type of liturgy. And when there's liturgy, people start thinking dogma. And um, all I really want to do is put out patterns and guidelines, but allow that to be evolved. You know, there's legal structures you have to have in place. And, you know, I had somebody who got very, very upset with me because she was just like, this is not what I thought the Temple of Witchcraft was about. And I'm like, well, if we want to own land, and not pay taxes on it. We have to have articles of incorporation. We have to have bylaws. And before you join, you can see what that is. And if you don't like it, you know, maybe this is not the right group for you. But if you don't want to have that, then this is kind of where our goals are going. You know, but a lot of people have these assumptions that, you know, it's going to be free and easy and you're trying to control them in some way because you've started an organization or if you've written a book. And I don't really want to control anybody. I just want to go forward with my stuff. And if that works for you, then that's great. And if it doesn't, you know, I wish you well and I hope you find what works for you. Mm. You mentioned before that you are a sci-fi geek. Are you still a sci-fi geek? Yeah, I'm I'm a big comic geek too. Oh. Yeah, I'm a comic geek. I'm some sci-fi. Steve's probably more sci-fi than I am and Adam's probably a little bit more fantasy and you know, reading a lot he reads tons of fantasy novels and whether it be books on tapes or reading all the time, he always has a book in his hand, that boy. So the three of you are a trifecta geekdom. Yes, yep. Speak nerdy to me. It's really it's a turn on. <laughs> yep. God. Well, I don't know anything about comics, really. I was never into them, so I'm sorry. I just can't seduce you. Uh, there's other, there's other ways. There are other ways, right? Well, let's see. What? I didn't have assless chaps on, but I had just well, just this actually. Yeah, pretty much. On, and the pink wig and the heels. Yeah, the wig was fabulous. I was very, very impressed. That's <laughs> saw you from across the room and said, "I have to talk to him." 
you know, it's been fun for me here, actually, uh, you know, because this is my first Between the Worlds. And uh, random people like coming up to me and going like, you're Luckylicious. Oh my hey. gosh, I love your show. <laughs> so this is the first time that I've ever encountered something like that. So That's I mean, pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. You're a celebrity. No, nah, I wouldn't go that far, but <laughs> maybe, well, who knows, in some people's minds. Yeah, it could be. I mean, we're, we're, very, we're well known in a very small circle. Yeah. I like yeah. our small circle. I do too. I, I, I actually, you know, the more I saw people be famous in the music industry, the less I want to be famous. You know, I just want to be famous enough to deal with what I have to deal with to do my job and, yeah. you know, the rest, obscurity can be good. Yeah. So what are, what are some upcoming places where folks who want to see you might find you? Um, my whole schedule is on my website. Hopefully it'll be updated as we speak right now by somebody back home. Um, I'll be uh, mostly in the New England area through October. Um, I'll be doing Celebrate Samhain in Keene, New Hampshire, which is this growing little festival that's taking place in a huge church. It's just a day-long thing, but a really excellent event. They have a lot of good authors out. Duduk Illis is coming out from New Jersey, and I adore her. And Raven Gramasi and Stephanie Gramasi will be there, who are a lovely like family to me. I, I love them. Um, I'll be, for traveling, I'll be in St. Louis in November. Um, I'm actually doing a, a little book signing in Hawaii of all places. My dad and I are taking a little vacation in Hawaii over Thanksgiving. So, uh, oh my God, we were going to go to Hawaii for Thanksgiving. Really? That would have been strange. Oh. Like there's Christopher Penzak. <laughs> yeah, you never know. So this is a really cute store in Hawaii called Prosperity Corner, and the owner is amazing. And So I'm going to be doing a little book signing there. So it'll be kind of fun. My dad hasn't seen me speak in a while, so um, he likes to come out to my book signings that are local to him. So it's cute. He's very supportive of everything. Oh, that's nice. Uh, what's your website? Uh, just ChristopherPenzak.com, and Penzak is C-Z-A-K at the end. It's not Penshack. It's not Penshack, despite how it looks. A lot of people try to correct me for that. And I'm like, you know, if you're in Poland, it probably would be Penshack, but I got anglicized as we came over here. But I found it actually through a pen pal from Poland, from a fan of mine who's from Poland who can read in English that um, Penzak either means grain farmer or barley farmer, which I thought was kind of neat for, you know, the whole agrarian witchcraft stuff. Hmm. Did you ever get a brain fart? Absolutely. I just had one. Absolutely. Excuse me. Through the air. <laughs> I just wanted to ask you something. Um, yeah, I let me get it when I'm speaking, so I totally understand. I'll be, you know, in front of a large group of people, and, and yeah, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> let, let's talk a little bit about gay paganism, gay spirituality. Like, you mentioned earlier that there was kind of, like, a void there, and that there wasn't, um, you know... Uh, there, there just weren't books, I guess, and, right. and not any good representation in the shop. So what would you say to someone now who is a gay pagan, a uh, gay male pagan, I guess, or is it limited to gay male pagans? Or um, I, I wrote it with the history that, that included lesbians, included a lot of transgendered, bisexual kind of information, particularly around the mythology, because there's not a lot of strictly gay male mythology. There's some, but... My practice, I really write from a place of personal experience, so I'm really writing from a place, particularly with gay witchcraft, as a gay male practitioner. So I have a friend who's a bisexual woman, and she's like, yeah, it didn't really work for me. And I'm like, you know, that's great. I hope, you know, take some of the information and experience it, and then I look forward to your book on, you know, bisexual women's witchcraft. Mm. I, not that necessarily every orientation and, and subdivision needs a book on it, but I, I think there was really nothing to kind of inform me when I started out. And I was actually quite shocked because um, the Cabot tradition is not fertility-based. It's not polarity-based. You know, it's not the boy-girl, boy-girl covens. So, and that's a lot of the Salem witchcraft has been influenced by Lori Cabot. So the community I kind of trained in and went to public rituals, and that was not a big deal. Mm -hmm. And so it was only until I started talking to other people that were more of the kind of British traditional Wicca, old guard kind of view that are just like, oh, two men cannot lead a ritual together. Two women cannot lead a ritual together. I was like, really? Like, why? 
Um, and what little prejudices I've experienced from that kind of attitude, I, I was stunned at, you know, so that made me research more and realize like, oh, that, that is an attitude out there. And where did that come from? And that actually inspired me to learn more about kind of Gardnerian and Alexandrian Wicca. And then you see Alexander's and you're like, oh, he's a big flaming queen, you know, so what's going on with that? And I've, I've had a great opportunity to befriend Maxine Sanders and have some time with her and, and her, just her attitudes and similarities to Alex and differences and, and some traditional views and some less than traditional views is just open my eyes to different ways of things. But I wasn't exposed to that when I started out. So it's been, it's been important to kind of understand that and even to look at, you know, some mythology, some even herb craft that was specific to gain lesbian spells and, you know, the, the Greco-Egyptian papyruses, there were some specific spells to same-sex love. And I'm like, how amazing that is. You know, nobody taught me that when I started. You know, I think somebody needs to be writing about that, at least point in the right direction. I think something, it's almost like bringing, a, as gay, gay pagans or whatever, um, in this case gay, gay men, bringing a, a critical eye to the reading that we do to find the threads right. that may not be overtly stated or some in some cases are, um, but finding the connection that we have to the myths that we're reading. Um, you know, it's easy to overlook it, you right. know, like... Uh, I, I've been working with Norse, Norse mythology, Norse pantheon for years, and I'm, I'm aware of some of the more obvious references to, you know, shape-shifting and transgender right. things. And, um, but I, don't, I never really thought to apply it to my own spirituality, like, oh, this is, a, this is something that I can use as a power source or, mm-hmm. you know, a touch point, spiritual touch point somehow. But then I've seen, you know, here, like when one of the weeks was dedicated to Odin, I was like, All right, really? Yep. Like Odin? Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? Uh, but then it, it kind of clicks and it all makes sense. It's like, oh, yeah, I guess so. So Absolutely. I guess maybe for me at the time, I wasn't looking for, you know, how to graft my sexuality onto my spirituality. Mm-hmm. But now that I've done all that non, like, sexually oriented work, I'm now coming to a phase in my life where it is important for me to, to find that sort of connection. And so I am looking into things like Minoan Brotherhood or mm-hmm. fairy magic or whatever whatever it is. And now, of course, I'm going to have to read your book, Gay Witchcraft. I haven't read it yet. It's okay. <laughs> do an interview with Christopher Penzak and don't read his it's book. Spot on. You know, we didn't know we, didn't know we were going to be doing this. No, so no yeah. time for prep. You're coming for vacation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here you are and, and available. Yeah. And I appreciate you making yourself available. Oh, I'm happy to be here. So is there, is there um, just to wrap up the gay thing here. Um, oh, that gay thing needs to be wrapped up. Yeah, let's wrap it up tight. <laughs> Save, what let's put we, it in assless chaps. That's, I guess that uh, wouldn't be Are bad. they going to be seen again this festival? Or Probably not this festival. No? You'll have to come back next year. All right. I do a different outfit for each Comos. This is the first year that was non-mythological. For those listening, it was, I was a rhinestone cowboy. Let's mount up. Delicious. Yes. Rhinestone cover jockstrap. Ride em, cowboy. Yeah, you... Maybe you weren't looking on that side. I, I didn't see that. No, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was enraptured by the moon. I saw. So, what, what are some what are some resources then? Um, maybe this is all in the book, and you can just say, "Oh, they're in the book." It's but all in the book. It's all in the book. No, I, one of the things I, I really liked, um, and someone here at one of the morning meetings was talking about. It's a hard to get book. It's out of print, but Arthur Evans' Witchcraft in the Gay Counterculture was a huge influence. It was probably the first book out there, and the only book for quite a while that had witchcraft and gay in the title you know so that was huge but it wasn't a how-to so you can find that and be like oh this is really interesting and brings these threads together and kind of goes on more of the revolutionary side of it but it it was pretty inspirational um i really love another out-of-date book um that's hard to find and it's controversial for some but it's cassell's encyclopedia of queer myth and that was just a huge resource if you can find it online or use bookstore or something but it's just a big big hardcover book on 
every deity that has had any inference of, of queerness to it, you know, on any level. And it was just really inspiring and helpful. And um, for me, a lot of magic is about relationship, you know, and how you connect your life force to different spirits and communicate with them and to at least find pro-gay or potentially pro-gay, you know, deities really deepened my practice. Yeah, I imagine, you know, if it didn't even occur to me as a gay witch, I imagine non-gay people wouldn't think. Absolutely. You know, you know. I've actually had quite a few straight high priests and high priestesses of a, a somewhat conservative background say they make all their initiates now read gay witchcraft just for a different perspective. So they're not limited to or feel that they're prejudiced from you know, having gay students, whether the training is polarity based or not, mm -hmm. just so they know that there's a history and there's a mythology. And if they come across somebody and maybe if their tradition's not right, to at least point them in the direction of a different type of resource. Mm. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. And that's part of it was about trying to educate, you know, pagan community, witchcraft communities to queer community and vice versa. There, there you queers go, blowing the whole thing wide open exactly. and rearranging it all again to make it look pretty. Exactly. Well, we're the interior decorators of the witchcraft world. <laughs> Not to stereotype, of course. Yeah, of course. Never happens. <laughs> well, this has been such a joy to interview you. And now it's, it's beginning to get a little chilly. I know. I'm starting to shiver. Yeah, the temperature drops so, and your nipples are starting to pop out. They are popping I'm kind of getting aroused. So <laughs> we've got to take this offline now. Thank you so much. I had a wonderful time. Yeah. And um, uh, so, yeah, that's Christopher Penzak, ladies and gentlemen, uh, my distinguished uh, guest here, author, uh, founder. Once Temple. you come to Between the Worlds, you can say world fame. My, my Good, close, personal friend, world-famous author, Christopher Penzak, TM. Oh, okay, so come, all of you, <laughs> between the worlds. If you're a gay man, otherwise, or bisexual man. Exactly. Or if you're a woman with a dick. Yes, they are also permitted. Exactly. Because it's really just all about the cock. Exactly. You know, we don't care where it comes from. As long as you have it. That's right. Um, so uh, stay tuned for more episodes of Eat My Pagan Ass. You pagan ass eaters out there. Yeah. And you know who you are. <laughs> I'm, yeah. We're, like, looking at each other, like, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, and, you know, uh, that's it. I, I'm, I'm in festival bliss right now, so I'm all over the place, and, and you all have been very patient with me about that, and I appreciate that. And I love that you're listening, and continue to listen, continue to go to our Facebook page, Eat My Pagan Ass, uh, or facebook.com slash Eat My Pagan Ass. Twitter, of course, just type Eat My Pagan Ass in Google, and you'll find Wherever us. Wherever you go, just Eat My Pagan Ass. That's right. All right, hookers. Bye.